Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. How are we doing, Southeastern? Doing okay? Uh, you only have to get up there a little bit for this. Hey, uh, like, like, I, like you heard, my name is Joby Martin. I grew up in a, in a little nowhere town called Dillon, South Carolina. Anybody ever heard of it? All right. My daddy said the best thing ever come out of Dillon is I-95, and that is a fact, okay? It is the land of the mullet and the wide tire Camaro, and so uh, that's where I grew up. And um, I know that here at Southeastern, you have had some brilliant preachers come before you. And then today you got me. So what the Lord is going to do is sometimes I know when you see some of your professors and preachers, you think, oh man, how am I going to be able to do this? But I'm telling you, as I just kind of unpack God's word for us a little bit, a little today, it will give you great hope and encouragement because if God can use an overeducated redneck like me, he can use anyone. In fact, when we planted our church, uh, we renovated an old Walmart, and that's where our church is, the, the initial location. And when I called my dad, I said, Daddy, we're going to put the church in a Walmart. He said, boy, I always thought you'd work at Walmart. And so, uh, <laughs> so I offered him a job as a greeter, and then there we go. So <clears throat> that, that's where I'm from. That's where I'm from, and that's what I do. And uh, uh, the first sermon I ever preached in my life uh, was at a, a little Baptist camp that I got saved at. And a few years later, um, my football coach ran the camp. And, and this is before like, you know, Louis Giglio and Chris Tomlin invented real worship. And uh, the guy was up there singing, I am a C. Remember that? Anybody old enough to remember? I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-E-S-T-I-N. Now I'm from Dillon. So I was about in the 11th grade before I realized what we were spelling. I was, thought we were speaking in tongues and we were Baptists. I didn't know if we were getting in trouble. So anyway, He's up there singing his little heart out. And then Coach Lee, the guy that led me to Christ, leans over and says, Joby Martin, you always call me my whole name. He said, boy, when the singing's done, I want you to preach. I was like, in three minutes? Uh, well, Coach, I'm not, I'm not real comfortable in front of people. He said, boy, did you say comfortable? Do you think, you think Daniel was comfortable in the lion's den? Boy, do you think Paul and Silas were comfortable in prison? Boy, do you think Jesus Christ was comfortable on the cross? And I was like, no. And I said, well, coach, what do I talk about? He said, boy, that's easy. You talk about Jesus, you talk about 30 minutes. And that's what I've been doing since then, okay? And so if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. In our time together here today, I want to talk with you about the parable of the talents, the parable of the talents. And so in the parable of the talents, what's actually going on here, I'm sure you know this, and listen, I'm used, at my church, I'm used to talking to people that don't even, they've never really been to church or it's been 20 years or whatever. And I feel like I'm at a bit of disadvantage with you because you kind of know the verses. I mean, in my place, I can make up some stuff and they don't know, all right? And so I don't know how much background to fill you in on because, you know, you're doing this professionally. But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells three parables back to back to back. And he's answering a question in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. The disciples are basically saying, all right, Jesus, what's the end of the world going to be like? And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, he gives very specific 
instructions and details about the end of the world, the abomination of desolation and the wars and rumors of wars. And honestly, I think the disciples were a lot like me. They were fishermen and stuff. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Jesus does what Jesus always does. He's like, are right, you look confused? Let me tell you a story. And so he tells three stories back to back to back. But again, they are to answer the question of what's the end of the world like. And so he tells the parable of the virgins, the parable of the talents and the parable of the sheep and goats. And basically it's this, that the parable of the virgins is don't miss the party. And the parable of the talents is don't waste your life. And the parable of the sheep and goat is, is to, to take care of those that God cares most for, the hurting and the lost. In other words, it's depend on the gospel, declare the gospel and demonstrate the gospel and you'll be just fine when he returns. And so I wanna dig into that middle parable the parable of the talents. And I think as a seminary student, that's maybe pretty applicable to you. Starts out this way, Matthew 25, 14, for it, and again, the it here, he's really talking about the end of the world. So it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? His property, everything, everything that we have, every opportunity, Every chance to share the gospel, every dollar, every relationship, everything that we have is a blood-bought grace gift by Jesus Christ. And let me put this in our world real quick. Even and especially the churches that we minister at. You see, we're just stewards and managers of everything. You see, God gives pastors to churches, not churches to pastors. Don't ever confuse that. We are to be the chief servant there. And so he says, to one he gives five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And I know some people today might look at that and go, that's not fair. That's okay, fairness is not a biblical value. The sovereign of the universe decides who gets what and when. Now let me give you a warning here. One of the things that we're gonna find out here is that God gives the talents based on his own sovereign will and one of the most crippling things that you can do in ministry is to begin to compare yourself to one another. That the five talent guy can compare himself to the two and one or the two talent guy can compare himself either way. And anytime we compare, it cripples us. Anytime we compare ourselves to one another, it's always a lose-lose proposition. Because when we compare, we either get puffed up with pride or we get beaten down with condemnation. And neither pride nor condemnation are the language of our Father. And not only that, but we always lose because when we compare, we compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about somebody else. And we always compare our B-roll to their highlight reel. And I'm telling you, we are comparison junkies, especially in the church. You know, the first question I always get about the church of 1122 is this, how many are you running? And so, you know, we give Easter numbers and the online and all the pregnant chicks, man, we count them twice, right? Cause come on, baby, birth begins at conception. So that counts and that counts, all right? So that, and then, you know, anytime you're at a conference or something like that and tell, somebody says how many people are going to their church, you know, they're not, you gotta like divide by two. There's like a algorithm to get the actual number of souls that are there. And then you look at people, and especially where you are right now, maybe not so much me, but other folks that stand on this stage, and you began to think, I wish I had what they have. You have no idea what you're asking for. One of the worst things that you can do is compare yourself to somebody else. And then you know what is 
You know what's a shame in our culture, man? With a bunch of comparison junkies like us and every single one of us walk around with one of these things. And we're scrolling through people's feed and we are looking at, you know that's not their life, right? You know that there are filters and nobody's just putting their lonely Wednesday where they're eating ramen noodles and go, hashtag Wednesday, nobody's doing that. And here's how I know. Uh, we live in Jacksonville, Florida. It's about two hours from Disney. So we're Disney people. We are those people. I have a 12-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter. And so, man, three or four times a year, we go to the happiest place on earth. Stand in line eight hours, spend $10 million, ride two rides. You still got to buy your kid a $9 ice cream on the way out so they don't lose their mind. But it's still the happiest place on earth. And so this last year, my family and I were there. And in our family, we have two different types of travel. We have trips and vacations. And so if the kids come, we call it a trip. If it's just me and mama, it's a vacation. Okay, and so we were on a, we were on a family trip and we went to this place uh, called, we went to this event at Disney, it's called the Hoop-de-Doo. And on the, on the way out, my son takes a picture and posts it on Instagram. And I think we have a picture of it. There's my family, that's his Instagram account. JP Martin, he's Joseph Perry Martin IV. I'm the third, my dad was junior. I was almost junior, junior. That happens where I'm from, all right? And uh, we're really into us at my house. So anyway, that's my family. And I don't know if you can see it. He's in the sixth grade, all right? So this was, this was epic. He says, coming back from Disney today with the best family ever. Now, it only got two likes, but whatever. We, uh, <laughs> but if you look at that picture, you think, you know what? That is the best family ever. I mean, look at us, all right? There's my son with his little parted hair and his cool glasses. He pitches for his all-star team, looking awesome. There's my little eight-year-old daughter, beautiful little blonde-headed bombshell. She says she loves Jesus. We have yet to see the fruit of that conversion, but we're trusting God's handiwork. There's my wife, man, just super pretty. I have outpunted my coverage, something fierce with her head just nuzzled against my well-chiseled shoulder. That is the best family ever. Let me tell you what's actually going on right moments before this picture was taken. So we're at this thing called the Hoop-de-Doo. You got to get on a bus to get on a bus to get to the Hoop-de-Doo. There's 10 million people and they shove you into this bus and it'd been raining. And so I had the bright idea to buy ponchos for the family and there were $16 per poncho. It was pretty much a trash bag with a hole in the head, all right? Which I need a hole in the head for spending $16 for each one. And when we unwrap them, it smells like the people that wore them before us must have died in them and then they just recycled them there at Disney. So we got these things on, not smelling awesome. And in the hoop de doo line, you gotta wait in line to get your family photo. And while we're waiting in line and the rain's still kind of coming down, my son's like, dad, my head is killing me. And I'm like, bro, you're killing me. Why didn't you tell me that when we're back at the hotel? I don't know if they've got aspirin out here at the hoop-de-doo, you know, at the Wilderness Lodge or whatever. And so he and I go on this little scavenger hunt to try to find some ibuprofen. Well, I go to this little country store thing and I find a, a bottle of pills and it says something, it says fever reducer on it. And I don't know, he doesn't have a fever, he has a headache and I'm not in charge of that at my house, my wife is. So I take a picture of it and I send it to her, no response. I send another picture, no response. I'm like, baby, hey, can he take this? No response. To which I text something like, how come when I'm with you, all you do is look in your phone, but when I'm not with you, you wanna answer a text? <laughs> something like that. Happiest place on earth. Okay, so finally, I get some of it, I shove it in his face. We go, we wait in line, it's finally our turn. And when we sit up there to take the picture, you know what's happening. 
my, my, my daughter and my son, they're not getting along. And she's like, get off me, get off me. And he's in the sixth grade and he's a dude. So he's like, what, what, what? That's all he can say. And I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, get off of your phone and get over here and take the picture. Stop, keep your hands to yourself. Three, two, one, best family ever. You see, when we compare, we compare what we know about us to what we don't know about other people. Be careful in ministry. Comparison will cripple you, will cripple you. So God hands out the talents, five, two, and one, and he went away, verse 16, and he who had received the five talents went at once, that's important, and he traded with them and he made five talents more. You know, delayed obedience is disobedience. That you know, I, there's probably some of you in this room right now and you know, what, you know what God has called you to do. And you are delaying what the master would have you do. But the five talent guy, he goes at once. He makes five talents more, verse 17. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. See, he didn't waste his time complaining that I, if I had five, maybe I could really do ministry. But he had received the one talent. He went and he dug a hole and he hid his master's money. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. That's very important. Settled accounts with them. That every single one of us one day will stand before our Lord and our maker and we will settle accounts based on what he has given us. Now the account has been settled based on what Christ has done at the cross. But whatever you do, don't waste your life. Whatever you do, don't waste what God has given you for his glory. And so look who shows up first, verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward. Of course he did. Why? Because he knows the report that he's gonna give. I, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever had a job and the boss was out of town and while the boss was out of town, you crushed it. Then guess who's the first person back in the boss's office when they get back from out of town? You are, you're stoked. You're like, hey boss, how was your vacation? Ask me about my week because you want to give that kind of, of report to the boss. And so he had received the five talents, came forward bringing five talents more saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. You notice he has an attitude of gratitude initially. He's like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. You just gave this to me. There's no way I could have done any of this without your grace in my life. And then he says here, but what it really means is like, here you go. I have made five talents more, verse 21. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know what he does not say? The master does not say good intentions. I'm glad you prayed over the five talents. Now listen, I'm, I'm obviously all for prayer unless it's an excuse for getting to work and what God has clearly called you to do. He says, well done. We serve a God that gets things done. Aren't you glad on the cross that Jesus pushes up on his nail pushed feet and he doesn't say, I hope this works. He says, it is finished. He says, well done. Intentions, at least according to the scriptures, are worthless, worthless. You know how many people in this world still have not heard the gospel and yet there are organizations that still intend to get there. The great commission is not great intention. It is a plan, it is an action to go and preach the gospel. Look, James' brother, I mean, Jesus' brother James in, 
in his book, he says this, listen, be doers of the word and not merely hearers and so deceive yourself. And then the illustration that he uses uh, about the, the, the uselessness of intention, he's like, it, it's like if you don't do anything about what the word says, it's like the man that looks in the mirror and then walks away from the mirror and forgets what he looks like. You know what he's saying? He's saying if you were to show up here to chapel today, just look in a mess. And we were like, hey, are you feeling okay? You're like, yeah. Like, are you sure? Cause you look like, I mean, you still live indoors. What's going on, you okay? And you're like, oh, you mean this? Oh, I looked in the mirror. People like, oh, okay. See, you don't get credit for looking in the mirror. That's just the assessment. You get credit for what you do about it. Do you know what's never, ever, 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 ever happened to any of us? You've never come walking into church one day and somebody would be like, girl, look at you. Are you losing weight? You'd be like, you know it. Well, what happened? Well, I got a gym membership. You go to the gym. No, I don't go to the gym. I got a gym membership and then shazam, look at me now. No, 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 no. You see, intentions are useless. And so our master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's what he does not say. He does not say good job, fruitful servant. Do you realize that you will be judged based on your faithfulness, not on your fruitfulness? And one of the worst things that you could do is to compare the fruit that God gives you to, to the fruit that God gives somebody else. Do you know why 1122 is blowing up and people are getting saved? Me either. I have no idea except God just decided. Now we are faithful to preach the gospel and to love people and to make much of him. We are. And if you came to our church, you would be so underwhelmed. You'd be like, what? They just sing and talk like everybody else. Uh-huh. But we are faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've just tried to be faithful to do with what God has given me, what I believe would bring him the most glory. And that's what you were called to do too, every single one of us. And so the five talent guy and the two talent guy, they get the exact same blessing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, and the blessing here, the goal is they get the master. So one of the worst things that you could ever do in the world is try to be somebody else. And I know when you came to Southeastern, your grandma was like, you're gonna be the next Billy Graham. Okay, first of all, no, you're not, okay? You're just not. But even if you tried to be, it would actually be a sin that the almighty sovereign king of the universe, when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he knew exactly who he was creating. And it was for his glory and your joy. And, and this whole ministry thing too, it, it ain't about you. Now God is for you, don't get me wrong. God demonstrated his love for us and this while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Anybody that dies for you is for you. So God is for you, it just ain't about you. It's just, it just ain't about you. It's about his glory. And one of the primary ways that you can glorify God is do with your life what he gave you your life for, which was to bring him glory. 
whether that's the pastor, some kind of great movement of God, or maybe, or maybe it's to make disciples in the family that he has given you. You'll be judged on your faithfulness, not fruitfulness. And so he says, enter into the joy of your master. And then he who had also received the one talent came forward. Now, if there was a soundtrack to this parable, this is where the music changes. Dun, dun, dun. And then comes this guy. He said, Master, uh, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. This is very, very important. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what is yours. I tell our church all the time this. Do you know that the opposite of faith is not doubt? The opposite of faith is not doubt. If you've got doubts, if you've got some serious doubts, I've got really good news. You could make a great disciple. Here's why I say this. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. What was the number one doubt that the disciples doubted on the very first Easter? The resurrection. I mean, one of the dudes is called Doubting Thomas and he's in heaven, you understand? So if you've got doubts, here's what you do. You just take your doubts, you take your questions, you take your insecurities, you take your, all of those things and you just pick them up and you follow after Jesus. And when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ and you just follow after Jesus, one day, all of your doubts go away. Now, not like next Tuesday, but when you get to heaven, guess what? Nobody has doubts. Nobody in heaven's gonna come up to you and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? You'd be like, you wanna ask him? He's, right, he's, sitting, he's the bright one on the throne. See, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Because faith produces action and fear paralyzes. Fear believes most in the circumstances. Faith believes most in the sovereign king of the universe. And so this guy's problem here, he admits it. He goes, I was afraid. I was afraid. And so he was paralyzed. Verse 25, but his master answered him. Man, I find this so interesting. You wicked and slothful servant, slothful. Now, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know a lot of slothfully lazy people, but I know a lot of selectively lazy people. You see, I think what happens here, because by the way, if I'm the attorney for the one talent guy, I'm going, objection, your honor. (laughs) My client here is not slothful. He was way busier than these other two guys. These other two guys in the first two weeks, they took the talents that you had given him. By the way, a talent was about a million bucks, okay? And so he, they took this and they went and they invested it and they've been like a Beth, Beth Moore Bible study for like the, just waiting on you to get back. My client has been working his finger to the bone. Do you know how hard it is to go and hide a talent? I mean, you didn't give it to him on a debit card. It's like in little, you know, he, he had to go to Lowe's and get a wheelbarrow and then go back because you can never go to Lowe's one time and go back and forth, back and forth. And then he had to go and find a place and dig a hole the size of a swimming pool and hide all of this stuff and then cover it up and put a palm tree on it, make sure nobody found it. And then when he saw on Facebook, you were coming back to town, he had to go back and get the wheelbarrows again. I mean, this guy has been working himself to the bone. How could you call him slothful? And here's the thing, I think often we get busy with the comfortable to avoid the faithful. We get really, really busy doing church stuff to avoid that kingdom stuff that you know God has told you to do. Like we get really busy with church activity to avoid walking across the hall and sharing the gospel with a person that we don't know that well. We get really busy building our brand online instead of making disciples. 
We get really busy networking and get really lazy praying. We get really busy with our own hobbies and get really lazy with the most important relationships that God has put in our life. We get really busy with work and really lazy with our faith. We get really busy entertaining ourselves. We get really lazy developing our gifts for his glory. Have you found yourself getting busy with the comfortable so as to avoid the faithful? And so he says he was afraid. Jesus says he's wicked and slothful. He says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. So you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance for, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth I think Jesus' message is this as we anticipate the return of Christ I think Jesus is saying listen don't waste your life don't waste your life don't waste your money don't waste your time good gracious whatever you do don't waste this opportunity at this incredible place sitting under some of the the most blessed men and women in all of Christendom don't waste your life and in fact if you're honest I bet there's some of you here right now and you know that spiritually speaking you need to get the shovel and you need to go back to some area of your life because God has given you this incredible talent this incredible talent and because of fear you've gone and you dug a hole and you hid that thing away and what God is saying is no 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 go dig that thing back up and risk it all for the glory of God you see everything we do in this life will either bring regret or reward and so if I were to ask you the way you're living your life how would you describe it is your life faithful or fearful and if you're like oh you know what I've been making some decisions kind of based in fear I've been getting really comfortable I've been getting really busy with the comfortable so as to avoid the faithful well then listen just go dig that thing up and bring it to the Lord and say here you go God all I have is yours somebody asked me this question a long time ago that had a lot with me a lot to do with me planting 1122 they said if you could do anything for the Lord and you knew that it wouldn't fail what would you do that can be a very freeing question so what do you need to do I was trying to think as I was studying this scripture about who of all the people in ministry that I know and one of the cool things about pastoring a big church is you get to kind of know those guys right and so I, I thought um, of all the all the guys I know or have ever met if there's anybody been five talents who is it and so about six years ago this is pretty cool I got to eat dinner with Dr. Billy Graham and I don't mean dinner like, you know how sometimes you go to a breakfast with a famous person and they're like eating up on the table and you're just kind of in the crowd. I don't mean like that. Like we live in Jacksonville, Mayo Clinic is there. Dr. Graham would go to the Mayo Clinic and one of his doctors went to 1122. <laughs> it ain't what you know. And so I was on a mission trip and I got a phone call from this doctor and he said, Pastor, I need you to pray about something. Uh, Dr. Graham's gonna be at our house for dinner. Would you like to come over? I was like, bro, sometimes you don't have to pray about. This is Billy Graham, of course. And so 
you kind of get ready all week. Like you're gonna meet, you know, if, if I can meet anybody in the world, this is who it would be. And, and, and so we, we pull up to the guy's house and we're getting there right about the same time Dr. Graham's getting there. And it's just him, he's got a travel companion and like a traveling nurse, that's it. There's those three and then the, the, the homeowner, husband and wife and one of their kids. And then me and my wife, that's it. And we're just sitting at this table with Billy Graham. And what do you say? So you go, I go up and I introduce myself. Uh, hey, hey, Dr. Graham, I'm, I'm Joby Martin. And he goes, so pastor, tell me about your church. And I'm like, <laughs> he called me pastor. I think he couldn't remember my name, but I don't care. It felt like it was awesome, <laughs> you know? Tell me a little bit about your church. And so I'm just telling him, I mean, you know, some people have told him and, and we were coming off a pretty great weekend. We had just baptized, we, we, our church is at the beach, so we do our baptisms in the Atlantic Ocean. It's kind of awesome. And we just come off a weekend where I think we baptized like 150 people or something like that. So we were celebrating. I go, well, actually, Dr. Graham, it's, it's pretty great. Um, we just baptized like 150 people in the ocean. And y'all like with his whole body, it was like he was startled. He went, I've never heard of such a thing. I'm like, hold on, man. I think you have. Uh, <laughs> Because in Seoul, Korea one time, 75,000 people got saved at one time. And so my little 150 down at the Walmart, I don't think that's that impressive. But honest to goodness, you know what he was doing? He would treat me like I was just doing what God had called me to do. And he seemed to be as stoked about what God was doing in and through us as what God was doing in and through him and his worldwide ministry. And then we, we sit down for dinner. We're just kind of, chit-chatting you know talking and and he looks over at my wife my wife is on our worship team she sings and and she goes he says well, well ma'am I understand that you're a you're a worship leader she says uh, yes sir I am and he goes well would you sing a song for me and I'm like woman you better sing you better get up and then when Billy says sing you sing Again, this was about six years ago. His hearing wasn't super great at that point. So she gets up and she walks around and kneels down right next to him at the head of the table. And she just begins to sing. And I would sing it for you, but it wouldn't be awesome. And so, and he just, it's crazy. He just closes his eyes and he lifts his hand like this. And he's just worshiping God. And she looks over at me and I do like the lead pastor thing when it's good. I'm like, come on, keep it going, baby. Keep it going, right? So we're, the buses will wait. And so uh, that's what we're doing. And then when he gets finished, he goes, well, I believe that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. I'm like, baby, you good. But I'm just saying, Billy's heard some people, you understand? And then I asked him, I said, Dr. Graham, would you, would you pray for us? You John, just praying for our ministry, you know? Um, and so he reaches over and he holds her hands. And he says, Father, I pray that you would protect this man from himself. To which I thought, You've been talking to my wife. What you doing? And he said, Father, I pray that this man would love his wife like you love us. And he would trust Jesus to build his church. And he prayed for our marriage. And he never mentioned the ministry. And when he said amen, he said, look here, you love her and you make disciples. Jesus will build his church. And as we were about to go, I said, Dr. Graham, can I ask you one more question? He said, sure, anything. I said, if you could preach one more revival, one more evangelistic crusade, what would that be? And immediately he said, that's easy. I would preach Galatians 6.14. And I went, mm-hmm. I didn't even know what Galatians 6.14 was. <laughs> I don't have the whole thing memorized yet. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, mm-hmm. 
But somehow that's how people that don't know how to amen, that's what I do at church, right? Somebody they'll moo and mmm. And so I'm mooing myself, you know, over here, and then he can't see that good, so I pull out my phone and I go to my U version and I go out to Galatians 6.14. Here's what it said. And think about this coming from Dr. Graham. Galatians 6.14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, this man spent no time in comparison. This man's life was not defined by intention, but in doing for the gospel, in sharing the gospel. And on February the 21st, 2018, Billy Graham heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Southeastern, my hope and my prayer is that with whatever talents God has decided to give you, you would not be crippled in comparison. You would not delay your obedience with intentions, but that you would just be about and get after the master's business. And so that one day, not by anything that you have done, but by what Christ has done for you at the cross, one day driven by that kind of spirit-led faithfulness, we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Would you pray with me? Our good and gracious heavenly father, Lord, I thank you for the precious gift of our life. God, I pray that none of us, none of us would waste a moment of it. God, that we would not waste our money. We would not waste our opportunity. We would not waste our time. We would not waste every good and perfect gift that comes from above. God, that we would take advantage of. We would take incredible risk for the glory of God in the name of the renown of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this world would be different because the students from this very school wouldn't waste their life, but they would risk it all. They would risk everything that they have because they know it all comes from you and it's all for you. God, I pray, Spirit, right now, that you would convict the men and women that you have put a burden, that you have put a gift, that you have put a talent, a calling on their life. And God, they have, out of fear, they have hidden that thing away. And just like Jesus, you were resurrected from the grave. God, I pray you would resurrect that calling in their life. That they would walk in a humbled confidence. That they would say, far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that God, you would use us. You would use us to make much of you. God, we love you more than anything. And we pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern 
or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.